the Alan Slate Radio Institute at the Faculty of Communication and Design, this is the Ryerson Today podcast, where we look at the people, ideas, and culture of Ryerson University. You can also hear it on CJRU 1280 AM. I'm Will Sloan for Ryerson Today. On this episode, we're looking ahead to the fourth annual World Cities World Class Symposium, a conference that's bringing together top universities from major cities to discuss the issues facing cities. Ryerson is hosting this year's WC2 event with the theme Migration, the City, and the University. It takes place from August 12th to 17th. A little later, I'll be talking to Ryerson history professor Art Blake about his panel addressing LGBTQ plus migration, but first... How can we enhance political engagement among immigrants and refugees? That question is at the heart of a panel discussion called Democratic Engagement and Political Power, Stories from the Front Lines. The discussion will explore the challenges and opportunities of bringing newcomers into the formal democratic process and suggest how they may learn to influence those structures. The panel is organized and moderated by John Beebe, who is advisor to the Dean on Democratic Engagement in the Faculty of Arts. John, thanks for being here. Thank you. What are some of the biggest obstacles that newcomers to Canada specifically face in getting engaged with the political process? Well, there are two major pieces. One is learning the formal rules of engagement, and that's everything from how do we vote? You know, are we running a presidential or parliamentary system? What are the three levels of government? And in many ways, those are the easier pieces. You know, those are the knowledge pieces that you can teach those in classes. You can promote those through informal and formal systems. The more significant piece often is creating an understanding of what my role as a citizen is within our democratic system. And that representatives, people we elect to office are there for us and shifting that dynamic. And one of the great ways that we can do that and that I've seen it being done by community-based organizations in Toronto and in other parts of the city is to literally bring people together with their elected officials and break down that wall of formality that sometimes exists. What are some of the ways that that can happen? And it's going to be as simple as a trip down to Queen's Park here where we have our provincial parliament and visiting, watching the session in place, and then actually just talking with your elected representatives Mm -hmm. as human beings who those are often wonderful people who are really interested in connecting with their communities and seeing that dynamic play out. We've seen politicians uh, in the city and the province, some who I might think are good, some who I might think are bad, who have succeeded very much on that kind of a retail politics strategy, you know? Right. But I think there can also be a difference between a sort of retail politics that's about, oh, I'm going to help solve your problem, than a retail politics that says, Let's talk together about how we solve problems, how we address issues that we all care about together in a genuine way that isn't about the politician having all the power serving the people. Mm -hmm. You know, in the democracy at its best, the people are helping to shape the political discourse. And that's a dynamic that's very different. To vote in Canada, you need to be a citizen 
How much of a problem is that with you know, getting people engaged in the process if they can't actually vote. Right. So I'm a new Canadian myself, uh, emigrated here 10 years ago from a country just south of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm familiar with it. Yes. yes. Um, and I was, you know, n- not maybe a typical, but I'm not sure there are really typical newcomers. But there are a lot of ways that we can be involved in influencing our democratic system before we are citizens and able to vote. Um, and I you know, work with community-based organizations and um, groups that specifically serve new Canadians. And we'll talk about, you know, list all the ways that you can influence our government. And it can be everything from meeting with a representative to volunteering on a political campaign to writing letters to the editor to talking to your friends and neighbors. And there's only one thing on that list that you can't do unless you're a citizen, and that's vote. In the last decade, there's been a big influx globally of refugees, and as a result, and there's been a big influx of xenophobia as well. Have these situations had any impact on the sort of work you do? Yeah, I think we are in a wonderful position of strength here in Canada, um, and that I recognize is different from many other countries that are part of this group that is gathering here at Ryerson. And to that extent, we've actually done a very good job of keeping the xenophobic tendencies from overtaking our political discourse. And one of my favorite sort of stories to illustrate this is in 2015, uh, I was working on democratic engagement efforts for the federal election across the country, working with community-based groups, and a group called Canadian Muslim Vote was just forming Uh, It was a group of volunteer people, some of them who had been born in Canada, some who had been born in other parts of the world, coming together to say, we need to mobilize our community to engage in this election. Uh, Strictly volunteer, and they pulled people together in the GTA and some in other parts of the country, uh, organized events at mosques, organized events at community picnics, and they got people to vote. What then happened is the politicians pay attention. Hmm. And next year, they had an e-dinner at the year after the 2015 election. They had about a 1,000 community members there, raised a lot of money. But what was, to me, extraordinary is every single major political party sent senior representatives, sometimes party leaders, to that event to tell them how important their work was. So they were multi-party, truly multi-party, and everyone was speaking about the value of their contribution to the community. Mm-hmm. And so they had shifted the power dynamic and the conversation around involvement in politics and involvement in democracy by the Muslim community here in Canada through just hard, on-the-ground, nonpartisan engagement work. And we, they just had their fourth annual, we'll have to fact check that, but fourth, fourth <laughs> sure. annual uh, e-dinner at the beginning of this last month. And again, they had every single major political party there and party leaders across the board sending their well wishes. And so instead of creating xenophobia, they are really setting up through their efforts a situation where the parties are reaching out to them proactively. Are there countries or communities that you know of, could be cities, I don't know, who have a particularly strong reputation for 
maybe having opportunities or being welcoming to have their newcomer or refugee populations be active politically? I mean, you know, to brag, uh, Toronto. Great. I, mean, uh, I mean, and it's one of the reasons I live here and moved here. But I think one of my favorite stories that illustrate the power of bringing in voices when I first started this work, I was working up at North York Community House, which is a settlement agency, and training volunteers there in a program we call Democracy Talks, which gives people a chance to talk about the issues that matter to them. And one of our icebreaker activities is to give everybody a chance to say which political leader would they want to choose if they could choose any political leader from any time in history. Potentially explosive territory. <laughs> Right. But that's what we want to open up conversations for um, input on things that might be controversial. Mm. But if you do it in a place where people feel safe, that's what political discourse is. You're not always going to agree. That's not the goal. The goal is to figure out how we can talk about issues that matter to us, disagree, and then keep moving. So we went around and asked people, and they would choose everybody from Mahatma Gandhi to Nelson Mandela to Martin Luther King to Justin Trudeau to Harper to my mother mm -hmm. you know, and teachers. But the last person who went was a man who had been born in China and was older and spoke about his experience. He said, I grew up in a country that had strong political leaders, and that didn't work so well for us. So I'm not going to choose a leader. I'm going to choose a system. I'm going to choose democracy. And what it was a reminder for me is two things. One, that people who do not grow up in a democratic system and democratic traditions have so much to offer those of us who are fortunate enough to grow up in those systems in terms of perspectives and understandings of the value of those systems itself. And two, there is so much wisdom within our communities and within the newcomer communities and our refugee communities that if we provide concrete opportunities for those people to contribute, we are actually going to be a much stronger and richer democracy. Who are some of the people on the panel? On the panel, we have... Uh, representatives from Canadian Muslim Vote, the World Sikh Organization, and the third group is the Newcomer Students Association of Ryerson. And all three groups have been actively engaging their communities and setting up ways for people to make sure that they have a voice in our political system. What was the thought process behind the groups that you selected? These are practitioners, mm -hmm. right? These are people who are working in the field um, and doing the engagement work, which means that they are creating opportunities for people in their communities to have their voices heard and are you know, demystifying the process and doing active outreach. What do you hope to see emerge from the discussion? Well, I hope to see two things. I hope it is a discussion and that we, you know, the people who are there participating from other parts of the world share some of their experiences. And I hope there is an appreciation of the value of not just doing for, but engaging with people who are new to Canada. Because too often what I hear in the discourse is that, oh, we have to help these people to become more democratic. 
And my experience has really been quite the opposite. My experience is that we as Canada gain as much, if not more, from the experiences and perspectives of people who are new to Canada and enrich our democracy and add an appreciation of some of the core values of democracy. And what are you hoping to see from the rest of the WC2? Well, I I think the WC2 as a concept is great because it brings people from lots of different perspectives of big urban dynamic cities together to share their experiences of being, you know, in just that, a dynamic urban environment. And so we always hear creative ways in terms of programs, creative ways in terms of approaches and engaging people. And so I'm now leading the new Democratic Engagement Exchange here at Ryerson and understanding how universities can go beyond just the classroom and the research to supporting programs and practices in communities that transform those communities. What is the date and time of the panel? It is Tuesday, August 14th at 10 a.m. Great. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Immigration and refugee systems are a challenge for anyone, but the experiences of LGBTQ plus migrants are unique. Often fleeing violence and persecution in their home countries, these migrants can find themselves in a new system that may or may not be hospitable. At WC2 Toronto, the International Conference on the University in the City being hosted at Ryerson, Art Blake will moderate a panel on LGBTQ plus migrations. The discussion will focus on research from Canadian and partner universities in the WC2 network and shine a light on an underreported aspect of the ongoing immigrant situation. Art Blake is an associate professor at the Department of History and is here to talk about the event. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Will. I was interested in this topic because we've seen a lot of media coverage of immigration and the refugee issue, but LGBTQ plus migration is not something that's been reported very much. Why do you think that is? I think that's because LGBTQ plus migrants and refugees may not make up a large number of the refugee claimants or the migrants that are coming to Canada's border, whether they do so by land or whether they fly in in a a more regular fashion. I think also there are political complications to the situation specific to LGBTQ plus migrants and refugees around the world that means that policymakers either don't want to focus on that group of migrants and politicians may have constituencies that are opposed uh, for homophobic or transphobic reasons, opposed to funding or policy attention being paid to that particular group of refugees or migrants. In Canada, are there any policies in place with regards to LGBTQ migration? As far as I know, and this isn't my specific area of research expertise, but as far as I know, the Citizenship and Immigration Canada and refugee boards are specifically open to people getting refugee status recognized if they are fleeing a country or a region where the fact of their being gay, lesbian, trans, bisexual 
if they were to return to that home region or country, that their life would be in danger, uh, whether they would be in danger of imprisonment, um, torture, other forms of punishment or exclusion or imprisonment. Who are some of the participants on the panel? We have a great panel. We have four people joining us. Um, one person is Carlos Itabuo. He is originally from the Ivory Coast. And Carlos is the French-speaking coordinator of the Dignity Network, which is an international network based in Canada that assists LGBTQ plus people around the world. Carlos also has a history as an activist and researcher on HIV and AIDS issues. And Carlene Williams-Clark will be with us. She is a on the board of directors of Rainbow Railroad. Rainbow Railroad uh, is an organization that exists both in the United States and in Canada, and it is specifically set up to provide, if you like, underground networks and forms of assistance to LGBTQ plus people who can get themselves perhaps to the United States or who can be reached in order to assist them in their countries or regions of origin or in a part of their migration journey. So say someone has needed to leave, for example, Kenya, and they might have made their way to, say, Turkey or somewhere, but they don't have the means to get to a truly safe space from there. Rainbow Railroad, either the U.S. version or our um, section of it here in Canada, um, has contacts and systems that can help people get to the United States or get to Canada. So Carlene Williams-Clark is on the board of directors of Rainbow Railroad Canada. She is also a um, staff member at the 519 Community Centre. Part of her expertise over the years has come from running the Newcomers Program at the 519, and she has also been someone involved in assisting LGBTQ people in parts of the Caribbean, um, uh, specifically Jamaica, I believe, who have needed to leave their countries and find refuge in Canada. Um, the third person on our panel is a man called Arsham Parsi, and he runs the Iranian Queer Railroad, so similar to Rainbow Railroad, um, except more specifically focused on people like himself who needed to le leave Iran. So he's focused on Iranian LGBTQ people who need to get out of Iran, but also, I believe, people who are in other circumstances in other parts of that region where they are in danger for their lives or their freedom by being queer. So the other person, the fourth person on our panel, is a woman called Biko Buta. She is the founder and director of Trans Workforce. So far, um, the only organization that particularly tries to find employment resources and employment access for transgender-identified people. Biko Buta came to Canada as a refugee from Kenya. So she also has lived experience and expertise in uh, refugee issues that particularly pertain to East Africa. Do you know if there are any countries, any sanctuary countries in Europe or North America who are more welcoming of LGBTQ people or less welcoming? Do any countries have a particular reputation with the, in that regard? I think there are countries within the European Union that may be welcoming when people are there, but I'm not sure 
if um, well, there's a there's an organization called ILGA, the International Lesbian and Gay Association. Been around for a long, long time, at least since when I first got to know it in the 1980s. It had been around for a while. So ILGA might be one of the organizations that might be involved in assisting people, certainly within Europe. But I haven't heard that there is a particular European country that is known to be open to receiving people. What do you hope to see come from this panel? What I hope to see coming from this panel is much more university and community-funded research and therefore ultimately assistance being provided to this very specific and uniquely situated group of refugees and migrants. I'm hoping that the academics and graduate students from our partner universities through the WC2 network will come to this panel, and I'm fully expecting that... Perhaps all of them may never have thought about this as a specific aspect of migration research, but I'm hoping they come away from the panel feeling that they understand something about the specifics and the variety of issues across the Middle East, different parts of Africa, Europe, and North America, and that they feel inspired to partner perhaps with one of our panelists or other people that our panelists can introduce them to, to bring what is often the um, extensive resources of universities and the funding that they have access to, to which organizations like Rainbow Railroad or Dignity or ILGA, they don't have access to that kind of resources. So this is really a case when university researchers who often feel like they have very little, can realize how much they have and that it's important to share it with a group that is getting, as you suggested in your intro, little to no attention in the overt policy discussions about migration. And this panel, too, it's particularly cross-disciplinary, isn't it? It's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people from a lot of different silos coming together. When is the panel? The panel takes place from 9.30 a.m. till 12 noon on Thursday, August 16th. In, I believe the room is TRSM 1147. Dr. Blake, thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Will. There will be more discussion about this issue at the International WC2 Symposium called Migration, the City, and the University. Ryerson is hosting the conference on August 12th to 17th. It's open to Ryerson faculty and graduate students and is free to attend. You can find out more and register at www.ryerson.ca slash slash WC2. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. To find out more, please visit our podcast page at ryerson.ca slash news hyphen events. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes. Please rate and review us on iTunes or contact us at ryersontoday at ryerson.ca with your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter at RyersonU and Facebook. For more campus news, visit ryerson.ca. This podcast was recorded at the Allen Slate Radio Institute at the RTA School of Media in the Faculty of Communication and Design.